for me it's it's the people it's it's the journey it takes you know some the great thing about some of the projects here is it's just down the road it's not necessarily I'm gonna say it's better than someone in Byron Bay or or you know Mornington Peninsula it's just great because it's here it's fresh this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep During the series, we've talked about how Australia's advantage in trying to overcome the virus has been its distance from the rest of the world and the fact that it's surrounded by sea. Tasmania is even more protected. With a small population and also surrounded by sea, it's got on top of the virus. And for those on the Apple Isle, life has, to some degree, become relatively normal. But what does that level of normality look like. Massimo Mele is a consultant chef and food director of Grain of Silos in Tasmania. Massimo, how are you going? I'm good, Hux. How are you going? Good, mate. Thanks for catching up with us. What, what's like, uh, life like in Tassie at the moment? Look, um, I feel bad saying this, but it's, it's, been, it's been a little bit back to business for us for a while to be honest. Um, it just hasn't been as busy. Um, as you know, back when the restrictions kicked in, um, they closed the, you know, the only way on the island um, by air or, or, or boats and we've definitely felt um, the pinch of that. Um, but those restrictions for us didn't last too long uh, in the restaurant game. So, um, you know, we went back to work at the end of July and it's been really busy ever since. So, um, and I don't say that lightly because, you know, as everything else is going on around the country, it's, it's been pretty, pretty catastrophic. Um, so definitely grateful for being, um, being Tassie at the moment. You did mention um, that you do feel a bit bad about that scenario, but how have you felt about what's happened with Melbourne and it looks like they're going to open up again and what they've been through? What's it been like watching from Tasmania? Uh, it's been really surreal, to be honest, because... If, you, if you're in Tassie at the moment, I mean, if you had a 24-hour camp going, you would, you would honestly feel that it's just, it's just business as usual. Um, people in restaurants, they're hugging, they're, they're shaking hands. I mean, the social distancing, I think, personally, as, as, and I'm one of those as well, has kind of just kind of disappeared um, over time. It's kind of the first four to six weeks was um, that panic mode and, you know, I've got elderly parents and, and my dad at the time was in respite aged care. So we were all kind of really panicking and, and concerned with, you know, not con being in contact and all that kind of thing. But to be honest, at the moment, um, or in the last few months, it's just been, it's been normal to, you know, when you compare it to the rest of the country. Um, in a way, that's probably a bad thing because I think if we do get an outbreak now, now they've opened the borders this week, um, if we do get a little bit of, um, you know, spread or any kind of scare, I think we're up shit creek because we haven't been used to what everyone else has been used to. Uh, definitely Melbourne and obviously Sydney and a few other states um, with the social distancing and the level of attention that's received. As you say, the borders have opened up again just recently. How important are travellers to Tassie's uh, restaurants? Look, I think in, I mean, Hobart more is more kind of reliant on, on tourists um, than a bigger city. 
Um, but it's definitely it's definitely important. I mean, it's for us. It's kind of it's been great getting the local support. I mean, in Launceston, we opened that restaurant, um, and part of the ethos and the ideas and all that was about supporting local. So I think we've been very well supported throughout that um, kind of situation. But um, you know, when you walk around the Hobart waterfront, if anyone's been down there, it's just it's it's like the heart and soul of the city, um, and to see it quite bare. I mean, it's going to be nice to see some people walking around and just enjoying for what it is. Um, I've worked on the waterfront, you know, for, before I left to go overseas. You know, I spent 10 years on the waterfront and now I'm back on the waterfront. And I think it's definitely a beautiful spot, um, but it just needs to be appreciated by uh, people with, with some money in their pockets because we need that for the economy. What's the sense from the locals there? Is there any nervousness from locals as Tasmania reopens? I think it is. It's 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 kind of like a double-edged sword. We we really want the um, the borders open for that economic, um, I wouldn't say growth, but help that we definitely need. Um, but at the same time, they're they're very kind of um, concerned with what happens when we start letting people in. I think a bit more information from the government as in what they're doing on the back end. Um, I mean, no one likes to sit on a computer and read. Um, lots of data, I think, just being that comfort to know that when they, they're coming through those gates, because to be honest, um, you know, I'm working on a new project in Hobart and, and there were people coming down from Sydney um, that w- weren't isolating, you know, and they were essential workers. And so it, it's really grey. And that's the concerning bit. It's like, who can actually get in and under the radar and, and how does that happen and, and why does that happen? That's what worries me because at the end of the day, people do not, uh, people, not everybody does the right thing. And that's what it's almost like you, you're worried about everyone else and what they're going to do. Um, in restaurants, I think it's just following um, the regulations that are put in place. Like I said, it's definitely relaxed a lot in Tasmania. So we're going to really get our you know, bums in the gear and get it right. You're a man that has his fingers in many pies. Can you take us back to those early stages when there was a lockdown? I know it's some time ago and it's relatively normal now. What sort of impact did it have on what you do? Uh, it's actually quite interesting because there's, there's, lots of, um, there's lots of different facets to what I, you know, how I make my living. And with the consultant, I mean, the consultant's usually always the first person to go, to be honest. Um, a, a consultant in a pandemic is not really uh, needed. Um, but for me, I remember being in the car um, and the first event, to, and, you know, we do a lot of food and wine festivals and you know, you've been there as well. And you, your calendar is usually pretty locked up for the year, which is I'm always excited about. You know, you get ready for the new year, um, various festivals around the country and you really have lots of things to look forward to. And for me, it just kind of started with um, like Tasting Australia was cancelled. That was the first event. Um, and then I remember being in Adelaide for, uh, not Adelaide, in Canberra for the Tourism Awards on the 6th of March. And, you know, I was at an event for a thousand people um, that night. And then literally a week later, we we're about to close. And I think 10 days later, I think the 23rd, we're done. Um, but apart from the restaurants closing, for me, it was, it was more events. So I felt like I just sat there in front of my calendar and, and um, Dark Mofo was the next one to go and that's a really big event um for me now like my fourth year this year it's just a great time to be in tasmania 
Um, it's great food. Everybody's here. Um, it's almost like, you know, when, you, when I lived in Sydney, no one ever visited me in Manly from Bondi because it was too far to go. And all of a sudden, <laughs> none of my friends that would visit me in Tasmania now were coming and they were coming for this event. And so it was a great social get-together as well. Um, and then after that, Noosa Food and Wine and, you know, Taste of Paul Douglas. And the list, and soon as that was it, it was just, that was March, by the end of March. Um, the whole year was gone and um, the first part was really scary um, because I work, obviously, you know, when you work in a big hotel environment like that, there's a lot of decisions being made um, away from you and it's out of your hands. So... Um, it was definitely very um, kind of upsetting the first few days because you're in the dark. Plus, I was in Hobart. You know, I had the kids screaming because they obviously weren't going to daycare. And all of a sudden, I went from being um, this really busy chef who had the whole year planned out to uh, unemployed for the first time since I was 15. And, um, you know, uh, with the kids and, and full-time dad, which I hadn't really done before, um, and that's a huge um, role in itself. And at the same time, I had, you know, staff up north that were just kind of, you were just powerless um, to help. It was such a powerful thing. It was just like a huge tsunami. Like whatever was in the way just kind of took it. Um, so it was pretty It was pretty, pretty scary there for a while. Um, but then I kind of just had to, I had two kids under four to kind of... Um, manage and they kind of filter a lot of it throughout the day um but i think you know listening to podcasts i mean i'm not i don't think you need um people pumping you up a little bit but the what the podcast did for me is it gave me that connection to you know a lot of my mates you know especially in melbourne and sydney what they were doing what they were going through but also we're in a very different climate down here um and and we're a regional city when you really think about it, especially Launceston. So a lot of what everyone was doing didn't really apply to us. We didn't have the volume in people. We didn't have the infrastructure. Um, we didn't have the demand. Like people didn't want takeaway. Um, you know, people didn't want take-home boxes because everyone's got great produce. Everyone's got access to great produce. Um, so, you know, for a few months there, it was kind of like, what am I going to do? Like this is just... We were literally just waiting to be told, you know, we can start to slowly, you know, come back. Um, and that in itself was a, it was an absolute nightmare because, you know, we wanted to plan our return. It's like, well, you don't often get an opportunity to restart your restaurant. And there were so many things we wanted to get right and, and improve that we didn't get an opportunity to, you know, being just on two years old. Um and they turn around and like, you're open next week. I'm like, oh. <laughs> how do you open a restaurant of that size in a hotel? Um, so it was, a, it was just a nightmare, to be honest. Did it change uh, the offering in the restaurant? How did you approach that, that opening? Is it a different restaurant to what it was? Yeah, look, I think Thomas and I, Thomas is the head chef. He, he looks after the operations and we were in, in that off, you know, the off-season, we call it, like we were busy behind the scenes planning, you know, with the menu and what we wanted to do differently and we really want to just get back to basics because we always just, the menus are always too big, you know. You always have to have, you know, something for everybody. 
um, there's a lot of requirements sometimes within, I, I guess, you know, brand standards in hotels. I guess for us, we just want an opportunity to, to have a clean slate and just go back to really a smaller menu, um, more ch interchangeable, you know, not really setting it in for, you know, this is the next three months. It really does go off the whisper of, of what's available. Um, and in saying that, we get we get people, you know, producers and, and even people at home, like coming in and, you know, bringing in produce um, from their backyards, you know, and to get that through a hotel environment was was hard because, you know, it's obviously there's a there's, it's not easy to kind of kind of from a monetary point of view how do you kind of pay for that or or, but we didn't want to stop that so we worked out ways around it, um, but we we really wanted to kind of create the menu based on that so and we did that but I mean when we first reopened it was obviously ten people like everybody else at the start, um, or in in Tassie. So it was just a set menu, which was really good because for the first time, we, <laughs> there was less waste. We had two chefs on. Um, it was really efficient and we just changed the menu every week. Um, but after three or four weeks, um, the people just wanted a la carte. But it was kind of like, I felt like it was pressure more from consumers and, and people, you know, the public are like, can you just hurry up and go back to normal? That's kind of how I, me personally. I'm not saying that's what, but that's that's how I felt. Um, it's like, can we just have another cart menu? We want choice. We don't want to come in at this time. We just kind of, you know, kind of go back to that. Um, so we just we we adjusted and um, we we've been bit solid. We've been busy. You know, we've been growing pretty much since we've opened. We're just getting stronger and stronger. And I think um, we're a bigger venue. You know, it's clean. Um, people don't feel like they're any kind of danger in the sense because it is, you know, a large venue. Possibly, I don't know. That was a bit more comfortable. Um, but for me, you know, we've gone back to basics with the menu, and it's really been, you know, a blessing in disguise because I think for too long, and and you know, doing our nuts on dishes and running restaurants, and I think. It was probably the wake-up call we all really needed. Um, whether or not it, it, it's a cultural change, you know, we'll wait and see. I know you've um, got many things on the go in Hobart uh, and Tasmania at the moment. We can get to those. But um, you made a real name for yourself in Sydney, but you're actually from Tasmania and uh, made your way up to the big smoke. How did you How did you get interested in food as a young kid? Well, I am... Um, when when you've got a mother like I have, who's just, you know, she's the quintessential Italian mama, you know, with the apron and the accent and the garden. And I think, um, you know, I'm not, not saying that I was inspired as a kid that I wanted to cook. I was inspired to eat. <laughs> um, she was just a great cook. But um, when I was 10, I started working with my mum and dad in the family restaurant um, in the outskirts, northern, northern suburbs of... Um, Hobart and you know quite a rough little neighborhood but that was like our um our trattoria it was called La Bella Napoli and you know dad did savory mum did sweet and I you know waited on tables after school and, and weekends and kind of from when I was 10 that was that was pretty much what I did and um we had that for maybe 10 years and well two different restaurants over that time 
and then I just, you know, I started working in cafes after school and I mean, I was just always working, you know, like I never, I never went camping or um, went away with all the other kids and, um, you know, holiday trips and like we went on one holiday when we were kids, you know, and I won that because I'd fill out the Coca-Cola on the <laughs> back of the, you know, I'd stack the fridge and then fill out the forms and, and send it away and we won a trip to SeaWorld, no resort for four and there was five of us so we had to pay for me anyway. <laughs> you know, like um, we we kind of did it, you know, we, we worked hard as a family. So um, and then my dad sold the restaurant and um, I just started working after school in that local cafe and I'd wash dishes in the morning and then um, get all the doughs ready for the bakers in the afternoon and did that for – you know, like 10, 11, grade 10, 11, 12 after school. And um, one day I think one of the chefs was sick and they just needed someone to jump on the line. And I was on the focaccia section and um, I got uh, told to, you know, get off the dishwasher and jump on the section. And that was it as in I just – that was it as in I, I started working, you know, that section for the next two years and – um, I just loved hanging out with the, the guys in the kitchen. You know, I didn't, I wasn't like, oh my God, I'm going to make the best focaccia I've ever made. I just wanted to work with those guys and, and they'd be joking around, they're taking the piss, you know, they're playing practical jokes on each other and at the same time smashing out, you know, five, six hundred covers down at Salamanca um, and with a smile on their face. And it was really rare to see people working with a smile on their face. <laughs> um, and I just kind of just kept doing it. And um, I went and got an apprenticeship and, and my dad came in to the head chef and um, I'm still in contact with him now. Uh, he said, I, I, need you to, I need you to do everything possible to, to you know, get my son away from being a chef. I want, you to, I want him to clean the grease traps, you know, scrub the bottoms of the ovens, like the worst shitter's jobs you can find, you've got three months to, to, to you know, talk him out of it. And um, and his name was Adam Aiken, actually, Chef Aiken. He just rang my dad and said, oh, no, I give up. Um, I'm taking him on, end of story. Well, there's not much you can do. So, so that's kind of where it was at. And then, you know, finished my apprenticeship and then just got on a plane and went to Melbourne um, and worked at Donovan's for a while. Um, which at the time that was 2000 and that was one of the restaurants at the time that was really, you know, I mean, you walk in and just amazing chefs, amazing pedigrees um, through that venue. Um, but even the way that happened, I was just every every Tuesday we'd read the Epicure, me and Chef Aiken, and every week I'd just see the ads and um, one day we're just sitting there at work in our break and he said, why don't you call? I said, no, I can't call. Like, I've never been out of Tassie. He's like, just call. And I remember the ad, must enjoy cooking, um, Robert Castellani. And uh, I jumped in a plane the next day and I wore my green, disgustingly green suit from my first communion. Didn't know how that still fit. And jumped on a plane and got to Melbourne and borrowed at my mate's car. And I got there and it's a, it's a pink Suzuki Swift Um and if you take it above 60Ks, it just blows, you know, disgusting smoke. Um, didn't know Melbourne. 
didn't understand the Merways and somehow landed in, in St Kilda and um, did the interview and I started a week later. So, yeah, it's pretty. it was pretty intense. Um, Mum and Dad didn't really know what was going on. Like, you know, one day I'm just working down the waterfront and next minute I'm gone. But they understood. They understood that I wanted to be better and the only way to be better was to, to leave Tassie. Um, you know, there was no... There was no great, there was a couple of really great cooks, but there was no great restaurants where you can go and get that training that you really needed to, you know, especially that, at the beginning. Um, did that for a while and then came back and opened a restaurant in Launceston, uh, Mud Bar. Um, so I rocked up in Launceston from Melbourne, which is a bit of a shock back, you know, 20 years ago and pink tips in my hair and big big chip on my shoulder and I think I was 21 and I opened a restaurant, which was really successful, but, you know, like I wasn't really ready to do that. You know, who's ready at 21 to open a restaurant? Um, you know, made a lot of mistakes in that. Um, just, I mean, what's managing people? I didn't even know what that, what that meant. <laughs> um, I just thought it was about the food and and that was it. So... That was a that was a pretty good experience. Well, you ended up winning Young Chef of the Year um, while you were there. Yeah, well, that's where that was at. Yeah, and that's how I got to Sydney. Like, but the funny story is, I entered that, and so that would have been fifteen years ago. Um, Sixteen. I love it how they say the inaugural winner. Inaugural. <laughs> like, just means that, you know the old fart. Um, but I remember two thousand and five. Um, Luke Mandan first year and was Lexus Young Chef of the Year back then. And um, I must have got through the process and the state level and I remember it was, an, it was just in between lunch and dinner service and um, someone rang and they said, oh, hi, it's Luke Mangan. I'm like, whatever, and I hung up because like, I thought it was my sous chef just playing pranks because I hadn't heard from him. So I thought I didn't get it. I didn't expect to get it. There was great chefs going for it and, you know, I was kind of like a little bit self-taught, really driven, but still didn't have that experience. You know, I'd only worked at, at Donovan's three or four years and still needed to grow, but so I understood it. And then he called back in and I'm like, can you just, you know, go away, like seriously. And then the third time he rang, it's like, don't hang up. It's actually Luke Mangan. Um, you, you know, you've made it to Sydney Um and I think that trip was where I just, I hadn't been to Sydney before. Um, so when you rock up and you're part of this really cool, you know, they, it was like a rock star. And not just because of the chefs, but like the whole, you know, they take you to the restaurant, went to Luke's restaurant, you know, met Big Joe Pavlich and that's that's been a, a lasting friendship since then, you know, because I just, he's one of the first people I've ever met or he's the first person I met in Sydney that I just, A, I got on really well with and just complete respect, um, but scary ass um, when you rock up <laughs> Hobart. But um, did, did, did the competition, did the event, um, you know, did, a, did pretty well and, and that's when I was like, I'm, I'm going to come back here. And that night of the awards night, you know, we're in the elevators and all these really fancy chefs and they're all giving you their business cards because they – you know, they want you to come and work for them. And I go away overseas for a while, come back, and nobody remembered who I was. They were like, who? 
like, oh, that was, who are you again? So, you know, it started that process, start at the bottom again. When I, you know, when I actually decided to move to Sydney, um, when I came back from being overseas, I was like, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Sydney, Melbourne. I just, I think I just love that whole, the beaches, the lifestyle, work hard, play hard. So, you know, I kind of picked Sydney. Well, you ended up being, uh, running Hugo's group of kitchens. What, what was that experience like? <laughs> that was, that was amazing. <laughs> that was, um, that was, that, that was more lessons learned, to be honest. Um, because I struggled to find a job, um, in Sydney, as in when I came back from overseas and I, you know, travelled around a bit, um, I was applying for head chef positions. I was, I was kind of going off the back of being, you know, people's choice, young chef of the year kind of thing. And I thought, you know, I thought I was better than what I was. And I was going for head chef's job and um, had a few kind of fails. Um, I was close to getting one. I remember La Studio when that was there. That was... Mm. That was about to reopen yeah. again, and then With the guy, yeah, and then someone disappeared, and that didn't happen. And then I was going to go work for Danny Russo at the um, Belvedere, I think it is Beresford, and then that got delayed. Um, and then I ended up catering for a bit with gastronomy, um, and just thought I'd just take a little bit of a step back, and you know, work for those guys for about six months. But that was just like that was like um, doing catering, but next level some of the stuff I was doing there. So I really enjoyed that kind of process. But I applied for a few jobs in the meantime and I was I just wasn't getting the traction. So I thought I'll just go back to being a cook, back to basics. And I just applied for a job. Um, one job was at Hugo's, uh, the new restaurant that was opening in Manly for a junior sous chef. And the other job was working for... Um, uh, oh, Nick... At the Strand, um, upstairs there, the Italian restaurant was just about to open, Pendolino, and um, applied for both positions and I took the one in Manly. And and that was it. Um, that's kind of, it's funny how there's a, there's a line in the sand and you can go either way. Um, and took the role there and, and opened, that was just, you know, Hugo's was just, it was just a beast. It was just, you know, a thousand cups a day. Um, I just had a small role and it was just really busy and um, obviously they were known for their pizzas but when they opened Manly they really wanted to step up um, the restaurant offering I remember um, but uh, long and the short of it is within a year um, all the management crew was gone from the kitchen and I just kind of bypassed all these guys and became head chef um, and basically got given the baton and it's like what's it's time to, to see if you can sink or swim. Um, and I just took control of it. And I had probably the best team I ever worked with at the time. And it was, you know, it was a decent career. When you're doing that many covers a day consistently, um, it really does become about being organised and having some real key people in positions. And, and we did that, whether it was um, quality control, ordering, I learnt pretty quick, smart over the you know seven years, what you need to do to run a business that size at that level, and um, you know, and the guys that were working back then, you know, are still the guys that come and help with me down here at Dark Mofo, you know, when it's on, or you know, they're great mates, 
Um, but just really good. They were really good at what they were doing. And, I mean, it's... But after seven years, it was time to do my own thing. I just kind of... Um, when you're working for a group that size, it's never really your own. And um, there's a lot of kind of rules and things you need to abide by. So I decided that it would be easy to start my own catering business. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't at all. But I enjoyed it. I, I started um, the business out of a dirty old van that I, you know, was given by my local butcher in Manly. Great mate now who used to, you know, used to buy my meat off him and he just said, oh, mate, I've got this old van, and, you know, it's an old panel van and, you know, you can use it, caddy van. And I said, cool. And um, you couldn't get into fourth gear, so you had to go from um, third to fifth and it was just, it was just a shit fight. But um, I rented a kitchen in Bondi, which is, um, it's not there anymore. It's actually with that new building's gone where I, you know, I paid 20 bucks, 20 bucks a day rent and, or 20 bucks an hour to use the kitchen and 80 bucks a week rent to have two shelves in the cool room, two shelves in the dry store. Um, and when I did a job, I'd have to book in and come back and wash all my stuff up and put everything away and basically share the kitchen. Um, but it was, it, it was a Jewish kitchen as well. So when it was blessed, um, you couldn't touch anything. <laughs> so you come back from a job and you're like everything is just strapped and and you can't touch it I'm like oh this is just ridiculous and I'd go home and take everything home. just you know what I mean anything can go wrong when I was starting the catering because you're doing it off you know you haven't got a ton of money to invest in brand new kitchens and you're kind of establishing yourself and my first job was my first job was like a 50 grand job and I remember telling the client who I knew quite well I said, I said, mate, I think, um, I just think I haven't thought this through properly. I don't think I can execute this. And he's like, Mass, um, you've done plenty of work for our family before. Um, you'll be fine. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't think so. Like, this is, you know, this is freaking huge. Um, and I did the job, and and that event kind of just, just catapulted me into like, well, now Mass, it's food by Massimo. Um, and just started doing events and, and really cool stuff. Like one of the biggest ones we had was recreating for 300 people. It's part of their team building event. I had to go and take 150 people with me. This is on a homestead down at Barrel and recreate like a master chef environment where there's 10 teams of 15 people. They're all different countries and everybody's got to cook two recipes and the other 150 people are with these set designers who have got to recreate or create a food and wine festival in three hours. And it was their team building event. And it, like, you know what I mean? Like I'm hiring trucks, I've got vans, I've, I've built 15 kitchens in this hall with all hired equipment. Like just um, a, a lot of the time I was just faking it as I was going and just somehow just nailing it because once again, I had my, my best mates working with me. You know what I mean? Like I'd, I'd, I'd give them plenty of notice and they'd have, you know, take a weekend off, you know, their jobs and I'd have the, this amazing crew that would just, you know, would do anything for me or, you know, just to get it, just to do it anyway and do it right. Um, and we'd have the best time, always with a smile on our face.
you know, like didn't matter how big the job was or how many hours we had to do, we just got it done. So I really enjoyed that period in Sydney. It was like a three or four year period of just whenever something really cool came along or you couldn't really pitch it, you know, quote for it because it was a little bit out there or crazy or not sure it can get done. I used to get a phone call and I just see if I could do it, and usually I'd probably say yes before I could think about it, because <laughs> I'm like, I want to be the guy that does it. Um, so that was, yeah, that was pretty much it. Well, you've done a lot of things since then. We could probably do a three-part series to go through them all. But um, what what drew you back to Tasmania? Uh, my wife. Um, so I, well, I knew my wife from 20 years ago, but we we literally just bumped into each other, and then. Um, we started hanging out and, and I started coming down to Tassie probably a bit more because um, Tassie for me wasn't always that great because Dad had a stroke. So when I'd come home, it wasn't always a really great experience. It was always sometimes a little bit sad. So I'd never stay home for much longer than two or three days and and really only like Christmas and bits and pieces. And as soon as I start, you know, catching up with Christy, I'd be coming down and, you know, Dark Mofo was on and there was – Tassie had changed and I'd been running away from it for 15 years because um, between you and I or everyone else now being a listen, I never wanted to come home. I never wanted to come back. Like I, I, was, I, I was so happy in Sydney but all I really remembered was the Tassie of when I left 15 years ago. You know, shit food, um, you know, crap work, nothing to do, nowhere to go. Um, that's all I remembered and, and kind of hanging out with Christy, I started seeing a different side and things had definitely changed um, and there's, there's a lot of great chefs uh, that are there to thank for that as well. Um, I mean, Mona's obviously there to thank for that. It's done a great thing for Hobart but I started seeing different things and, and experiences and then um, I, was, I was still working in Sydney, living in Sydney and coming home every 10 days and we had our first child and... and Christy decided, I said, come to Sydney and I was working La Scala at the same time and they just sold that but they wanted to open a new restaurant in, in, the, in the city, Martin Place. So I was working on that project. I said, come to Sydney and let me just open this restaurant because I just can't do that tra- travelling back every week. It's just going to kill me. Um, so she moved to Sydney with our firstborn and um, they ended up selling um, Veranda in the city. And so that never really happened and, and my wife wasn't really that keen on staying. Um, you know, need your family support. So we she moved back but I, I kind of stepped, kept consulting and just coming backwards and forth for a while. So I did that for like a year and then I just decided that's it. I just need to be completely invested in Tassie and just start my own kind of that own, I guess that journey back to, you know, I can do my events, I can do all that stuff in Tassie but... To be honest, it's not really a lot of that here. So for the first part, I just kind of bang ahead against the wall, you know, been a bit of a, an idiot really because I was like, oh, I just miss Sydney, I miss Sydney, I miss Sydney. And I was like, just go back. I'm like, well, that's not really the right thing to do. Um, and that's how I fell in with just kind of getting back to um, basics and I just started hanging out with farmers and producers. And I think through that experience and then obviously doing grain and when I did grain, I thought I want to just go and I want to go and take uh, the owners, the developers, and everybody on a three-month journey. Not every day, but over the course of three months, meet producers. Yeah, you know, it's like meet the grower, and um, and I did that 
on the journey on the way to open the restaurant. Um, I did that with a couple of my mates came down and they filmed the content and created some content. And all of a sudden it was the first time any chef had ever gone to visit farms um, in that way and, you know, taking the restaurant manager or the food and beverage managers to meet these people. Um, and it just kind of gave me a, a new kind of, uh, not position in the industry, but I guess a bit more trust because when I moved back, you know, I think I was, they just really treated me as like the Sydney chef. I wasn't, I had to work hard to become a Tasmanian again, mm. which sounds really absurd. What's so great about the local produce? Is there any producers that you can pinpoint that really stand out for you? Well, I mean, well, it's easier to pinpoint. I've just, I just did a long table lunch at a goat farm on the weekend and, um, you know, and they're really good friends of ours, but Tongola Goats Curd, I mean, they've, I think they won the Delicious Award last year, but it's not necessarily, you know, to say, oh, they, their product is amazing and it's better than anyone else. Because that's not really what it's about. It's the reason I, I mean, it's a great product. And here in Tassie, it's probably the best, you know, when you compare it to other places around Australia, it's a really hard thing to do sometimes. But for me, it's it's the people. It's it's the journey it takes. You know, some the great thing about some of the produce here is it's just down the road. It's not necessarily, I'm going to say it's better than someone in Byron Bay or, or you know, Mornington Peninsula. It's just great because it's here. It's fresh, you know, and when you when you actually taste produce, especially fresh produce, that is is literally fresh, as in whether it's picked that day or even the night before, or fish caught that day, or the guys fishing the calamari at ten o'clock at night, you know, and the fishermen are sending you videos to, to waking you up in the middle of the night, and you wake up the next day and it's and it's in the kitchen. I mean, that's pretty special. And the closest you ever get to that, or I, I ever got to that, was just an Instagram post. You know, like I didn't, you don't get to have that when you're in the city. So I think um, there's some really great people doing some great stuff. Um, and the product speaks for itself. Um, the other day when I did this event, um, you know, the goat was from the farm, their beef was from the farm, some charcuterie, which was from Forkett Farm, which is you know, two and a half hours away, but like beautiful part of northeast Tassie. But all the vegetables from the garden. Like I've never been prouder to do, and I've done pop-ups. That's that's all I've really done for the last three or four years or created events. But I've never created an event where you're eating my olives, um, you're eating the last of the broccolini florets, um, you're eating stuff, that, tomatoes that I preserved last year from my garden. So for me, I've done this full circle. I'm finally becoming what I loved about my Italian heritage is that is, you know, making your own um, kind of, well, your own food or producing your own food. That sense of pride, I think that's what for me, what I find difference in Tassie is at the moment when you say what's so good about it, it's just people are really proud, like to give you something or to offer something on the table. And I think that's really special. A little earlier you mentioned or you alluded to a new project that you're working on. What, what can we expect from that? More of the same, really. Um, Italian restaurant, it's, um, for me, it's, it's going, back to, going back to basics, really, when it comes to um, a little bit of heritage. 
um, you know, kind of Italian flavors with Tasmanian produce, um, making lots of uh, handmade pasta as well as a pasta machine. Um, and just doing the dishes that I kind of grew up eating that, you know, when I was at school, I'd get picked on as the wog boy. And then, you know, 20 years later, I'd charge someone 15 bucks for a panini um, with the same ingredients that my mom. Um, but really special, like, you know, getting charcuterie um, made for us, um, you know, making passata, but all the passatas like, you know, whether it's tomatoes from my garden or someone's farm, um, it's, it's, it's creating food that people just have that reaction. It's just, oh, wow, that's delicious. It's not just, it's not about the frilly stuff. Um, it's really just about wholesome, you know, generosity and kind of where I started really because I've just done this big full circle in 20 years or 20, you know, 22 years um, from, you know, my family home, travelled the world, travelled everywhere else and then I've just come straight back to where I started. So for me that's kind of the idea of the restaurant is about going back to that. So, you know, working with mum and dad in the restaurant, dishes that probably, you know, I remember from being a kid um, that I know are the delicious, not just going to put them on there because it's part of my, you know, um, nostalgic trip down memory lane. It's, I know that people like the simple things and they like it done well. And if you can give that, you know, offer that in a situation where they get really beautiful service, professional service, warm service, old school hospitality, then if we can do that, then I'm pretty happy. What's this period of time been like for you? Has there been positives for you and has it, has it changed you this year? It's made me a better dad, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's made me a better dad. Um, I think spending time with my kids, um, at, the, at the beginning I, I took it as, you know, forced leave. Um, but spending more time, being more present, um, I really enjoyed that. I've learned a lot more about them. Um, so, and then that's made me more tolerable as well, <laughs> more to them, not to me. Um, cause I know you've got, you know, you've got young kids and, um, it's really funny back in the day when yeah. I'm obviously the last of my friends to, to have kids and, but you know, my sous chef and head chef used to work with, I used to just always get stuck into them. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Why are you so tired? Like, well, you know, I only did a 10 hour shift yesterday. It's nothing like, but they had kids and, and, and. They had two kids as well. So, you know, like I understand now just how that relentless side of it. So trying to juggle both things. Um, but I think for me also is really clear as what I need to do um, and probably not have to do as many things that I was doing before. Because I think before, like I was just trying to hold on to, um, you know, I was still kind of trying to be relevant because I felt I left Sydney in a way so quickly and I wasn't ready to do that um, at the time. And there was things that I wanted to achieve as a chef as well. Um, and I felt at the time in Tassie, I kind of probably took a step back and then kind of disappeared, you know, in, in the background. Um, but I kind of thought through all this that you just stick at it, you know, and I think grit is one of the most important um, ingredients in, in success is just keeping at it and not giving up and I think for me when this opportunity came on for the new um, the new restaurant which to be honest has been around for two years now it's just it's just been you know backwards and forwards and delays and things like that um, 
I just knew that it was an opportunity to kind of um, finally, you know, have a, a blank canvas where I can kind of do something really special um, and bring in all those producers that the last two, three years I've worked so hard to get to know um, into that restaurant as well, same as we do up north. Because uh, it is a very different um, situation when you're cooking seasonally, like honestly cooking seasonally. It takes a lot of training because, um, you know, you don't have the eggplants all year round that you can have on your menu. You don't have pepper. You don't have some of those ingredients that you probably take for granted because you're like, I just want to shop at the market. And it's like, well, you go to the market and for a period, you know, throughout the year, you've got cabbages and apples. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's probably a bit of a drum, but it, it could be that bad sometimes as in it's like it's not that easy. So... You've had you have to really train yourself to to become to work seasonally and, and cook seasonally. And that's why I've decided to start growing so much produce. Um, I'm actually living and breathing, you know that that kind of lifestyle. If you come down, mate, you'll you'll see. You, there's 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 produce everywhere. So uh, it's a bit like my mum used to do. My mum used to have tomato plants everywhere. So you couldn't play basketball. You couldn't keep the footy. Any any spare <laughs> bit of of dirt, there would be a tomato plant. And no shit, this year I'm doing the same thing. I'm like creating spaces there wasn't before because I'm like, I just want more and more tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, it's always uh, great to catch up. It's incredible to have you on Deep in the Weeds today. Please keep in touch and uh, look forward to seeing what you do with a new restaurant. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, mate. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>